Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of the Generation GC podcast. My name is Molly Huddleston. I am your host, and I am here with Angela Mastro Giacomo. Angela is a friend of mine. We've known each other through the internet for several years. She is the owner of Muddy Paw PR as well as Thrive Music Business Coaching. Angela, hello. Hey, yeah, we're internet friends, but we also got to meet like a year or two ago, but it's oh my still God. way too long ago. I way know. Way too long. We went to, we had these like vegan hot dogs and then we went to Vegan Treats Bakery and it was so fabulous. Still thinking about it. Oh my God, same. <laughs> so last week on the show, we talked about The Chronicles of Life and Death, the title track from Good Charlotte's third studio album, The Chronicles of Life and Death. Today, we are talking about Dance Floor Anthem, I Don't Want to Be in Love, from Good Charlotte's fourth studio album, Good Morning Revival. Next week, we will talk about a song from their fifth album, Cardiology. So, Dance Floor Anthem, and and we'll get into this, Angela, you saw it in my notes, but to anyone listening, we will get into this later in the show. I'm going to refer to the track for the time being as Dance Floor Anthem. So Dance Floor Anthem is track four on Good Morning Revival, which was released in March 2007. Uh, As a single, it followed The River, and it was actually their best-selling single in Australia. It hit number two for three non-consecutive weeks and was certified platinum. In the U.S., it peaked at number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100 on December 15, 2007, also certified platinum which made it their fourth highest peak on the Billboard Hot 100. So Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous hit number six, February 8th, 2003. Girls and Boys hit number 10 on September 13th, 2003. And the Anthem hit number 11 on May 10th, 2003. So nothing from their first album charted that high and nothing from uh, The Chronicles of Life and Death had charted that high. It stayed on the charts for 20 weeks, and the album itself, Good Morning Revival, hit number seven on the Billboard 200, stayed on the chart for 13 weeks. So this is a very popular song. It was obviously a really big hit, but I feel like this is not a song that people outside of the core fandom necessarily think of when they think of Good Charlotte. I will just say that I thought I had never, ever heard this song before. And then when I started listening to it, and maybe we'll get into this more, but I genuinely thought like I'd never heard any good Charlotte songs until I, until I started listening. I was like, oh, I've heard this. I've heard, but I just had no idea who they even were. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into first, you know, some stories and what the song is about and why we're talking about it. So Angela, when I had reached out to you about this podcast, you know, I asked if you or any of your clients might be interested in talking about Good Charlotte. And, you know, you said to me that you had not really come in being like a fan of them or or knowing much about them at all, but you thought it was a really cool idea. And I'm super excited to have like an outside perspective. So coming into this, I mean, what were your thoughts? Like before I, before I even said, okay, let's do this song. What were your thoughts? about Good Charlotte kind of going into this? It's so funny because (laughs) like when I think about Good Charlotte, I think very much about when I used to work at the roller skating rink. Okay. Um, And like, it was just that time in my life. And I didn't even necessarily pinpoint that until I started hearing some of the songs. But before I even listened to it, I thought, 
I, like I said, I thought I've never heard this, like, I thought I'd never listened to them before. I certainly never sought them out. Um, and so when I think of them, I kind of, I feel like all your listeners are going to hate me for this. I kind of clumped them in this whole thing of like, oh, they were the same uh, time period as like Green Day or My Chemical Romance or bands like that. And I loved Green Day back then, but that was it. Like I didn't listen to any of what I would consider those other surrounding bands. So I will talk about why I picked this song specifically, but before I talk about it, I want to know like when you first listened to Dance Floor Anthem, what did you think of this song? So I actually really liked it. I mean, I was as soon, yeah, yeah. As soon as it started, I was like, oh, and I kind of felt myself bopping along. Yeah. Um, And I was just like, oh, I might, I might actually really like this. You know, like when you asked me or when we talked about me being a part of this, I was like, oh, this will be a fun experiment. But I didn't necessarily expect to actually like it (laughs) as awful as that sounds. Cause I, I just assumed if I would have liked it, then it would have come on my radar sooner, but no, I, I really did. I mean, if I was being really critical, I would say that uh, for sure, like the vocals, I think took me a little bit of time to adjust to, like it was a little mm-hmm. bit higher than what I had expected. But I mean, I was just really into it from the start. It was just super, super catchy. Yeah. So I, I love this song too. And I chose this song, you know, when, when you said you were down to do this podcast, I was kind of thinking like, what, what, what did I want to give you? Right. Um, and it, it crossed my mind to give you something, you know, from the first record or like one of the really, really big hits like Riot Girl or something. But I decided to pick this song, Dance Floor Anthem, because I wanted to pick something out of left field. Like I wanted to pick something that someone who is a fan and people who are fans of the band, who have seen them live, who have listened to their records, like know this song and love it. But people who are not necessarily super involved might, might not like think of this when they think of what is good Charlotte. Which is so funny that you say that because like, I would think even just listening to, I probably listened to a handful of other songs. Mm-hmm. I would think that this would be the one that people would gravitate towards because to me, it's so much more accessible than a lot of the other stuff. So I would have thought that this would be a magnet for pulling people into this world and then they would discover all the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, we'll, so Good Morning Revival, and we'll talk more about like critical response and and what people said about this album, but if I were to say there's one song from Good Morning Revival that people outside the core fan base seem to gravitate towards, it's The River. Like people, people that aren't diehard fans, um, most often if they're picking a song from this album, it's The River. And then otherwise, you know, it's people will say, oh, I like the anthem. I like little things. I like, I just want to live predictable. You know, these songs from, uh, oftentimes from other albums. But this one had this very, like, dance kind of beat that was, at the time, was a little different, a little surprising. That's, yeah, I actually, I listened to the anthem as well. And yeah, Yeah. that was one of those songs I listened to. I was like, oh, I, like, I knew that song. I didn't even know that I knew. And, and I was thinking about it and I was actually, again, this sounds awful, but I feel like I probably thought it was like a Blink-182 song or something at the time. Like right. I was so just unaware of who it even was. Well, and that's, that's not awful because it's, it's, you know, how many songs did I hear thinking it was one band and it turned out to be another, you know? Um, I think that's 
very common, especially, you know, the anthem came out, you know, 2002, and there was a lot of pop punk music on the radio, in the media. So it it's not crazy at all to me that, like, you could hear it and, like, not really know who it is and just kind of assume it's someone else. Yeah, yeah. So this song uh, tells the story of two people, a guy and a girl, who have just been broken up with. They're getting ready to go out, let loose with their friends, just dance. Uh, to me, this is not like I'm struggling to get over a breakup from six months ago. To me, this is like I got broken up with last night. Let's go out and just completely forget about it. Have fun. What is your interpretation of the lyrics here? Like, do you have anything uh, you see differently or that you'd want to add? It was it was similar to me. I mean, I definitely thought that it was reflecting a recent breakup. Yeah. It's interesting that you use the word fun because I would have used more of like an angsty word. Okay. Um, like, I think fun in the sense that you're trying to have fun in the moment. And I mean, I was never like this. So like, I think it's hard for me to tap into. Like, I had a breakup yeah. and I was just holed up for six months, you know? Yeah. Um, but for me, it was more like, you know, not like I'm going to go have fun, but like, I'm going to go like I'm gonna go try to drown my troubles whether it's in alcohol or drugs or like other partners like that kind of thing just that sort of like I have no control and this is how I'm trying to get control over the situation right okay Um, but yeah I definitely thought it was about a recent breakup yeah well and it's I don't know does dance floor anthem does that imply that you know you're using alcohol and drinking you know do the two have to go together. I mean, is that what you're getting at? I mean, in real life, I definitely don't. I mean, certainly I don't think they have to go together, but I will say that's instantly where my mind went. Like it just, to me, for some reason it went to like what I reckless behavior sounds too strong, but like just sort of this reckless in the sense that like wanting to like drown everything. You just want to drown everything out. Yeah, exactly. Whether that's with or without alcohol, just like I've got to not feel this way anymore. Yeah. Right. It's, you're so you like don't want to let yourself feel this pain. You're not going to acknowledge it. You're just going to go out, dance. Yeah, distraction. Distraction. Yeah, which, which is important. And I, I think, you know, whether we talk about obviously breakups or any stress people go through, uh, I think, you know, without – I mean, I have a bachelor's in psychology. I'm not like actually an expert, but you know, <laughs> there, I, I, I hold the personal belief that like when you're going through anything difficult, you have to have like multiple kinds of coping mechanisms. And I think there has to be the, on the one hand, there has to be the distraction, forget about it, drown it, drown it out. And then separately, there has to be the self-care, the reflection, the, you know, creative side and and processing your feelings and and that can take like different forms in different ways I think yeah no absolutely I think there is a definite balance between the two I mean I've certainly never gone through anything that didn't have a little bit of each of those yeah so I was reading the lyrics and the description of the song on genius.com genius describes a song saying that it chronicles a failed relationships from both perspectives, a he said, she said scenario, hearing both very polarizing sides of the story. So do you think this song is about two sides of the same relationship or is it just two people in 
separate, but, you know, kind of similar situations. The, when I first listened to it, my instinct was that it was the same, like two vo- uh, viewpoints of the same relationship, which mm-hmm. I haven't really seen. I mean, I'm sure other songs do it, but I haven't really seen it done. So I thought it was pretty interesting to look at it that way and think about how, because I mean, that's very real, isn't it? Like yeah. that you would see things so vastly different. See, I obviously listened to the song many, many times in, <laughs> you know, 13 years. I did not make that connection that it was necessarily two people from, you know, the the same situation that it was like, oh, her side of the story, his side of the story. Uh, to me, initially, it was, okay, just two people who have both been broken up with. And in my mind, it was kind of like, they're two two random people that are both going through the same thing. And like, in my mind, the story that wasn't told, in my mind, these two people end up at the same club. I love that you just like made your own story out of it. Yeah. Though. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I love this album and I, I have for a long time believed that this album could be its own like rock opera movie novelization screenplay kind of situation. Uh, and so I, I've definitely had a lot of time thinking about like, okay, what are, what are the, the stories here? I love that. I feel like now I have to go because I love albums like that that just sort yeah. of feed into each other. Yeah, it's it's great in in that way. Um, and I, I I enjoy like taking this album as a whole. I think this song, like on the one hand, it's very straightforward. It's almost like this surface level kind of thing. Like, oh, put up your hands, say I don't want to be in love. But then you have lines like you've got a reason to live that point to just how much pain can really come in a breakup. Can I also just say this is not necessarily at all related, but even though I knew the title of the song, even as I was listening to it, I thought that the lyrics to the chorus at first were actually, I don't want to be alone. And I was like, Oh, like, I don't necessarily think that was on purpose, but I liked in my head anyway, I liked that they kind of, worked together that way because yeah. it could it could work either way but no I, I caught that as well about that lyric um and I thought it was interesting because like you said it seems very not that that pain isn't real but it's sort of making it this fun anthem and right. then you know you see that it has all these layers to it exactly yeah and it's it, it has the layers and it's I think that kind of points to how smart the song is right like how aware it is that it's not just and how good trial often has been that it's like this very straightforward thing, but also there's like something really deep. Uh, We talked about girls and boys a few weeks ago on the show, two weeks ago on the show and me and Tyler Young, my guest for that episode talked about how, even though it wasn't stated in that song, you know, that song came from this place of deep frustration and, and confusion with the people around them. And I, I feel like there is, in a different way, that kind of, like, under underlying story, that underlying level here that, like, yeah, you're not just dancing and, and going out and clubbing because that's fun. You're doing it because, like, holy shit, like, this hurts. Yeah. I've yeah, def- absolutely. I, I've, I'm, not a, I'm not a drinker at all. I've, I've had a few sips, but I've never had a full drink. Um, but I, I've definitely, like 
had those nights and those moments and those people where I'm like, I just, I need to like go out. I need to do something. I need to have fun. Just like dance, sing, let it all out. And I feel like this song has definitely uh, been a soundtrack for a lot of those moments for me. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's such a universal feeling, you know, no matter yeah. how you cope with it. Cause I mean, and I'm the same as you, like, I'm not, I mean, I didn't even drink anything until the last year or two and I'm not like a big drinker, mm-hmm. but same thing. Like when you're going through something, I mean, whether you're doing it by going out or you're doing it by like doing the same things, but just like on your own in your room and you're writing or you're screaming into a pillow or yeah. you're like, I used to do this thing where when I was really frustrated and upset and hurt, like for some reason I would always look at where I could move. Like I would always be like, oh, I'm yeah. going to move. Mm-hmm. Like a, mm-hmm. And I'd like look at Craigslist apart. Like, and that was just another form of this is, I feel like I, if I do this, at least I have control. At least I have distraction. Yeah. Like, you know, um, so yeah, I think it's very universal. No, I, I, uh, I have a job that I, I like, and I'm, you know, especially right now, which is a really scary time. I think a really scary time for the entertainment industry. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful that I can be working from home and everything, but anytime I'm frustrated, not like with anything in life, right. I will like go on apartments.com and I'll kind of look at like, you know, okay. If I lived in this city I could have this kind of apartment for this much money. Yeah. A hundred percent. I do this. I used to do this same exact thing. That's so funny. I thought, I thought I was like some weirdo that did it. So it's oh, no. refreshing. No, I think, I think it's, I think it's pretty common. I mean, I, I actually have a friend that was, had like signed a lease. Uh, she's living at home. She graduated two years ago. Um, she lives in New Jersey with her mom and has been commuting in New York for two years. And was supposed to move into this amazing apartment in Lincoln Square, Manhattan, like two weeks ago. And, you know, obviously that's not happening. Um, but I'm even like, wow, like what, what would things have been like if I took a different route and I had, you know, just in, instead of moved to where my job was, what if I had moved into New York and just looked for jobs in New York? Or like, what if I had moved to LA or moved to Nashville or whatever? Yeah. One little decision, right? Changes everything. Yeah. So let's, let's talk some more about kind of the, the fun facts, the, the trivia and, and about this song and as well as what a lot of uh, critics have said, what the band has said in interviews. So is this song called dance floor anthem or I don't want to be in love. So Angela, as background, when I bought this album, I had pre-ordered the CD from, I think, just directly from the band's website, and it was Dance Floor Anthem, in parentheses, I Don't Want to Be in Love. Now, most places you go, like if you go on Spotify, uh, and I think on the music video too, it's I Don't Want to Be in Love, parentheses, Dance Floor Anthem. It's a little mystery. Yeah, <laughs> and that like bothered me that. for the longest time. Um, I didn't f- find any like official references of like why they kind of switched that, but I think that switch happened kind of when the music video came out, uh, and and that this was being pushed as a, a single and such. Uh, I like dance floor anthem better because that's like what I knew the song as. Um, I put a poll on the generation GC Twitter. I was like, okay, what's this song called? And people voted that it was dance floor anthem. But you know, then again, I'm, I'm 
getting people who are following that, most of whom are, you know, dedicated fans uh, who probably also like had the original version where it was dance floor anthem parentheses. I don't want to be in love. Wikipedia says it's dance floor anthem. The lyrics page on genius says it's, I don't want to be in love. I will just say I prefer if it were, I don't want to be in love. (laughs) Right. I feel like there's no reason for that. I just like it better. That, I mean, that's like the more straightforward title um i have a set list from 2016 uh framed on my wall and in the set list it says i don't want to be in love i mean obviously you know i i have a couple set lists from various bands hung up and you know what they say on a set list may or may not be the official title but i i feel like that's what everyone's referring to the song as but I don't know. I, I like dance floor anthem better because it feels more creative. It definitely is more creative. That's for yeah. sure. And you know, you have a lot of songs on this album. Um, the river misery, victims of love, broken hearts parade. Where will we be now? March on that. The title of the song is set in the song dance floor anthem. They don't say that in the song, but you know, I feel like it's, it's kind of clear like what the song is about like if you were you know um but then on the flip side i would say that um i don't want to be in love is more in line with the rest of the titles right well but that's why i was saying like i kind of like that it stuck out (laughs) (laughs) so this is good charlotte's third track to use the word anthem so they had east coast anthem on their self-titled album the Anthem on The Young and the Hopeless, and then Dance Floor Anthem uh, here on Good Morning Revival. Fun little trivia for you. I mean, I like that there's a theme, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that right? they're sticking to it. I <laughs> also think it's a great word, so. Yeah, I, I'm well, I'm excited to eventually talk about the anthem because there's, uh, there's so much fun stuff we can get into with that song. <laughs> so there was a video that I found uh, from 2012. Benji and Joel did this interview with BMI. Uh, the segment was called How I Wrote That Song. So Angela, I just found this like right before we hopped on. Uh, so, but to, to give you an overview, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the exact quotes, but basically in this uh, video interview, you know, Benji and Joel talked about how this album came out before dance music was really on the radio before it was like a thing. Um, they, they came from being nothing from having nothing, but they grew up and had this success and, you know, they'd grown up loving punk rock and hip hop, but once they found success, they felt the scene had turned on them. So this was a really rebellious record for them. Um, the Chronicles of Life and Death, we talked about in episode three last week, guys. Chronicles had been rebellious in a different way that they just went really, really dark and gothic with that record. With this record, you know, they they told their label at the time that they felt this dance music, shiny, this four on the floor type beat. They, they thought that was coming and that was like going to be the next big thing. But it got rejected a lot. You know, they they wanted to respect and trust these executives at the record label, but Benji and Joel also talked a lot in this video about having to trust their own gut 
as an artist and that this was a moment where they had to tell everyone to trust them. And despite, you know, we'll, we'll get into a little more of the critical response to it, but you know, despite that, the song ended up being a pretty big hit. Um, they talked about how it's easy, you know, when you're 16 years old, you've never left your hometown. It, it's easy to write, but once you leave that, the world tells you you're contrived and, and such, but that you can't let that ruin your songwriting. It's truly interesting. I mean, I think that applies to, I mean, certainly everything I've ever felt like, and mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this, even with like, you know, when I started the business or anything yeah. else, like it is when you're first starting something and you don't know any better, you know, at the time it might seem like a, like a disadvantage, but it's honestly such a blessing because oh as soon God, as you yeah. start to know, yeah, as soon as you start to know things, it's like you overthink them, you're questioning them. There's too many mm-hmm. voices like in your ear telling you what to do. So um, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. This album had really varied and reviews from critics at the time. So for me, this was right around the time I'd begun reading music magazines. Um, I mean, I had been reading them for a bit, but I think I was paying more attention than I had when uh, Chronicles had come out. I I was reading anything I could get my hands on online and subscribing to a few and stealing, stealing my dad's and getting my own subscriptions. (laughs) And it felt like a lot of these critics didn't know what to make of this record because I think critics kind of wanted to just categorize them as a pop punk emo ish band, whatever. And I, I remember one phrase I remember, and I wish I could remember what review this was from, but uh, one album said it was full of clunky dance tracks and they just didn't grasp what I've appreciated about this record, which is that it was rebellious, that it it was not what people expected, but it, it felt very true to what I, I felt like they were where they were at at the time. So I've always appreciated that about this record, but I definitely remember having a lot of moments being, you know, 15 or so reading the reviews of this record. And like, this is kind of, I'm at the age where I haven't, I'm not a music journalist yet. It would be a few more years before I would, but I I like kind of wanted to be, and I had no idea how to do that. Uh, I wasn't doing well in English classes, and then it was like I would read reviews of my favorite band in the world. I would read these reviews of their record that like slammed it, that hated it. And it led to a lot of like questioning of like, could I ever be like a critic, a music journalist? Could I ever be the person that reviews records and interviews bands if, you know, the bands I like, you know, the critics don't like? Yeah, but you know what? I I remember like first of all, I love that throwback of cuz like going to Barnes and Noble and getting oh, a yeah. magazine, right? Cuz that was a thing. Um, I remember feeling the same way you did. Like I remember feeling as if critics almost wanted to write bad reviews. Like it yeah. like they wanted to be edgy or something and come uh-huh. out against, you know, it was like I just remember thinking that as a thing and I remember going through the same feeling as you did her. I was like, is this like do they are they just angry all? Like I don't understand. It it was weird. Yeah, it, it's, and and frankly, I, I don't know if that's necessarily changed. Like, it, I, I don't. Certainly not on the larger sites. I think you still see yeah. a lot of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I should name 
sites, but you know, there, there's some like very big name sites that are kind of known for not liking anything, but being incredibly pretentious about the few artists they do <laughs> like. And it's just yeah. like, like, what is your, what is the thought process? I, I wonder sometimes. And, and, you know, I, I've done a bunch of album reviews, but as a writer, I've always felt like interviews were a lot more of my strong point just because I love having conversations with people. Uh, and I don't think I ever wrote a review of a Good Charlotte record, although I did review, you know, their shows a few times. It is always, I don't know about you, but at least for me, I would always actually have a harder time writing a review for a band I really loved. I would, because I'd be so yeah. afraid to get it wrong. Yeah. I, I, so I remember writing a review of Walk the Moon's What If Nothing in November 2017. And they sent me, so like, I became a fan of Walk the Moon in 2015. Um, I photographed their show in New York and had been like a casual listener and then I saw them live and I completely fell in love with them. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. The show has changed my life. Um, and so what if nothing about two years later was the first release for Walk the Moon that I kind of anticipated. And I had written like some news posts about the songs you released leading up, but I was like real nervous about this record. Uh, I, I was, first of all, I was like, what if the record isn't good? And I, <laughs> um, and then I was like, what if I get it wrong? I was nervous about that. I got a tattoo for this record before it came out for what if Walk the Moon is What If Nothing. I got a, a tattoo for it before it had officially come out because I, I listened to it and I liked it a lot. I guess that my review as well as other stuff that I wrote about Walk the Moon, you know, I, I, I guess that left a good impression and I guess I got it right because it, it eventually <laughs> led to their label giving my name to uh, I Voted, which is an organization that uh, one of their members, Kevin Ray, is on the board of. And I, I got to interview Kevin. So I guess that I got it right, even if I didn't necessarily like know it at the time, which was, which was a good feeling. But no, I, I, I feel that too. It's like there's, there's this, you know, if it's a band you're not like a diehard fan of you're kind of like okay like this is this is my job like I'm, I'm I'm gonna listen to this I'm gonna say what what's good about it what's not good about it what makes sense what doesn't but when it's a band you are going in and you love it's like shit yeah well especially because you're like what if they read this what are they like right that weight is just crushing sometimes oh my god it's- yeah that's Anytime, I mean, in interviews too, I think, you know, absolutely. Um, when I, I obviously I was like biting my nails, like when the interview went up, waiting to see if they would like retweet it, if their publicist would write back and all. Um, and you know, they, they did like reach, they like retweeted it with like some hearts and stuff, you know, they said some nice things. Um, their publicist wrote a nice email back. But yeah, no, that like waiting to see, and and that's like, I mean, oh my God, I could talk about this forever, but like (laughs) anytime you put out like an op-ed or any like personal piece of writing, it's like the waiting too is like, yes, I know it's, it's rough. Um, (laughs) so, so talking about reviews of this record, I mean, there were a lot that I read in print, uh, one that I read online 
from Pop Matters. They hated this record. Uh, And I won't read the entire review, but I wanted to bring this up as something that, you know, frankly, I felt was pretty reflective of the typical critical response to this record. So Pop Matters uh, talked about how they felt that Good Charlotte has never had any authenticity. And that this record was kind of like the worst example of that, of how they never had any authenticity. They say, if there's one song that comes closest to getting it right on all levels, it's Dance Floor Anthem, which audaciously swipes the Rapture's tiresome dance punk gimmickry and leans heavily on Good Charlotte's goofiest chorus to date to great effect. Uh, I don't want to say it's it's not a goofy chorus, but again, I think that's like a good example of people kind of missing what it's actually about. There's a lot of other songs on this record. I mean, Misery on this record talks about how everyone around you is completely miserable. (laughs) So yeah, it's this like dance punk style that maybe didn't make sense to people who didn't really know what it was about or what they were trying to do. But, you know, they've talked about earlier on this record, they've talked about how everyone around them is just miserable and they hate themselves and they hate their lives, you know? So I, I don't, I would disagree that this is not authentic. Um, I don't see how, I mean, it's just not really for them to say, is it? Whether it's authentic or not. Right. I I mean, it's again, I I think that's like a, a example of how critics kind of love to smash bands. You know, they, they love to, and it, I feel like the critical, appreciation for good charlotte since they've reunited has like changed a ton but it's it's other bands now that people are you know kind of saying the same things about um and i feel like critics love saying that bands are not authentic or not genuine and and i'm not to say that like i've never said anything like that about a band but i don't know i i read i read reviews like that and i'm like i'm also sometimes like why are you writing this review? Yeah, no kidding, right? (laughs) Maybe put this towards, like, something you do like. Yeah, well, because it's a review like that, I mean, to me anyway, at least hearing that piece, it just sounds, it sounds almost angry without a purpose, you know? Right, it It, it sounds like they went in expecting to not like the album and determined to write about how they didn't like it. Right, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, No, and I, I, I think... There were a lot of reviews like that when this record came out that were kind of expecting to not like it. But, you know, what what I have gotten from this album, what I've taken from it, is that it talks about, you know, Benji and Joel feeling kind of out of place in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. Um, and so, yeah, it makes sense that the record kind of doesn't make sense in that way because it, it's all about them feeling... It, out of place and, and trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, there was another interview that Joel did with music OMH in August, 2007. So a few months after the album came out, um, they said the overall sound is now devoid of all the teenage anthemic choruses of their debuts. The music is accentuated by hits of new wave pop punk and rock. 
a disco-like beat is even detectable in the river, while Dance Floor Anthem is more progressive 80s rock full of the dynamics of this new era. And then Joel says, we love 80s music. We like a lot of stuff, actually. And I think all of that translates into this album. I can see that. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I feel like, you know, this was before dance music and EDM kind of became a big thing, even though obviously, you know, techno and such have existed in, in the club scenes for decades for such a long time. Um, but this like dance punk sort of thing that they were doing in a way, like it felt like sort of before their time, but it also felt like not something that anyone else did this same thing. Yeah, I almost wish I could have, I mean, I guess I could have heard it then, but I wish that I had because um, it's, yeah, I mean, what you're saying, like now, of course, it's easy to listen to that and draw all these similarities, but to listen to it at the time and not have anything else like it, I mean, it's a totally different experience. Well, and, and you don't, you know, at the time it was like, you didn't know what would come after. Like, I didn't know what good Charlotte would do next. I didn't know what would happen in the scene next, you know, what, what would other bands do? Um, you know, they had Chronicles, which was this really dark and gothic record with, with a lot of strings. Then they had Good Morning Revival. That's this like dance punk record about being in Hollywood and feeling really out of place. And, and in, in some ways being like really depressed and heartbroken. And then, you know, they, they would follow this up with cardiology that was very like back to basics in the sound, like pop rock, no electronics or dancey kind of songs. Yeah, uh, I, again, like, I just wish I could have heard, like, I wish I had, yeah. it had even been on my radar, but I just didn't even know anybody that was, it was, yeah. I, it's so much of that age depends on your friend circle too, right? I'm yes like, and I, no, but like, I, you know, I, I talked about this. I think I talked about this in the trailer um, of the podcast, but like, you know, I, got introduced to good charlotte when like my one of my good friends at the time natalie in sixth grade like i'd go over to her house and she'd play the on the young and the hopeless and then i got my allowance i bought the album i fell in love with them and and then natalie kind of like moved on to the next band pretty quickly right (laughs) uh so like i growing up i never really had like friends around me that were that i was talking about music with so yeah, I guess that is true. I mean, I, like I listened based off, I mean, again, like the rink, I worked at the rink. I like everything right. at the roller rink was my whole life. So like, that was my only, but I guess you're right. Like it's different than now. Obviously we talk about music because we're in the industry, but yeah, yeah, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't like that as much as like, Oh, did you hear the song? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like you would move on to the next thing. I mean, now I think now I've made a lot of more friends that I, I can talk about music with and, and, a lot of times favorite recommendations do come from friends, you know, uh, but definitely growing up, they did not. And so I, yeah, there was a lot of like online interaction and such, but that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just remember like feeling so frustrated that like, I thought this album was so cool and revolutionary and like, I like didn't have anyone to talk about it with. And I was like, people are missing out. <laughs> Uh, another note, in 2018, Impericon Mag named this as one of their five good Charlotte songs that mean the most to us. So that was fun. Uh, and then I found a cool interview back in 2017. Benji did an interview with Fuse looking back 
uh, 10 years since the album had been released. He talked about how it was a really special album for them. He said, it was a real strange time in music. I think we were being a little bit rebellious in a way on how pop we made that record. We were really rebelling against the scene. At the time, we were feeling a bit like outsiders. That was an interesting time period in our lives, in our band, and I'll always look back on it as a really tough time period. You know, a bunch of other new bands had come out and gotten really big, and we definitely had felt like outsiders. We felt a bit like we'd been exiled. That's so sad. Yeah. He says, that record was really special for us because as a band, we stuck together. You get through those tough periods, you come to the other side, and no one even remembers. Yeah. I think it is interesting because, you know, you had bands that maybe got bigger than them that started around the same time or that, you know, were more accepted than them. You know, you had the newer bands coming up and, and I can definitely see that, you know, feeling like outsiders, um, especially with this record. Yeah, I will. I know. But like I it's so because as somebody who doesn't necessarily like doesn't really know the band, see, right. I would actually say that they were quite successful. I mean, like, I would yeah. agree with you that like certainly other bands maybe around that time. But like, I just feel like they were very successful, and especially yeah. with coming back. Like that was a huge I mean, again, like not even following them. I even recognized what a big deal that was because yeah. people were losing their minds over oh it. Oh, my God. Well, I, I think. I think at the time of this record, because people didn't necessarily get it, I think that contributed to them kind of feeling like outsiders in the industry. And they talk about this pretty often. And Billy talked about it when I interviewed him and, you know, that despite all the success, they've always felt like kind of outsiders or misfits in the music industry because they're not like just one thing really right like yeah there's sort of pop punk sort of emo sort of alternative they're very pop but like like what what box do they fit in and and are they you know cool enough to be like lauded by critics are they you know are they trendy are they going to be loved by, you know, teen girls? And, and if they're, if one audience likes them, what does that mean for the rest of the world? Um, but, you know, ben, Benji goes on to say in this interview that he, he says that he feels that this is a record that a true hardcore fan will love. And they say that it's like a fan favorite. And I agree. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorites too. So, there is a music video for this song. Um, did you get to watch the music video? I so, did. Music video for this song it takes place in this big, long, really narrow hallway. Kind of alternates between the band playing and a big dance party that's taking place. Uh, there's some shots of Joel in an elevator with a girl kind of fighting with him. You see nurses doing a choreographed dance in an otherwise empty hallway. Uh, you cut to the band in the waiting room of this, I, I guess it's a hospital. Um, and I think this entire video was shot with a fisheye lens. Yeah, it definitely seems <laughs> like it. Which is not their first video to use a fisheye. Uh, the Little Things video had a lot of fisheye shots as well. <clears throat> yeah, it was, there was a lot 
there was a lot and also not a lot right. at all happening. Right. Like there was, it was very confusing in that way where I was like, I was like, are they, I don't understand. Is this a hospital? Is it a party? Like what right. is happening? Um, but on the flip side, they did a good job of telling a story while keeping it relatively simple, yeah. which I always appreciate. Um, notes about the uh, aesthetics of the videos. So when the band is alone in the hallway playing, they're dressed in black, but at the party they're in white. So good Charlotte trivia for you, Angela. <laughs> so there was a time period, I, I want to say it was like 2005. Uh, so this is like a little past that even, but there was a time period where Joel Madden would wear all white all the time. And it was like several months to a year. And I like, I like, because we talked about this in last week's episode, but I like tried to find citations where he talked about it. But yeah, it was like this whole thing of trying to, I guess, get past sort of like doom and gloom in a way, you know, Uh, and and stand out. And it wasn't just a fashion thing. It was like an emotional choice. Um, Obviously, I'm greatly paraphrasing this based on, you know, some interview I remember from over a decade ago I couldn't find any citations online uh so I guess maybe in a way they're kind of showing that you know by themselves they're they're wearing the black but at the party you know letting loose they're feeling good they're you know they're wearing white that's that's like a symbolic kind of thing yeah that's that's interesting I actually didn't even pick up on that until you just said it yeah like yeah I it just went right over my head um, yeah. But I, that's nice. I like things like that. They're like little hidden meanings almost. Mm-hmm. Um, another note about the uh, visual side of this, this long hallway that they're playing in has an orange stripe down the length of the corridor. The walls of the waiting room are orange and this album cover has like orange stripes across it. So I, I'm sure that was probably pretty intentional. It's nice consistency. Yes. Yes. So alternate versions of the song, um, Benji and Joel did a performance of this acoustic on Australian Idol with a string backing section. And I thought that was really cool because that was like not at all what I'd expect for this song. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, Good Charlotte, about a year and a half after this, Good Charlotte put out their greatest remixes album, Fall of 2008. Um, ooh, I have a lot of feelings about greatest remixes, uh, <laughs> but there on that album, uh, Metro station covered dance floor anthem. I don't want to be in love. I, it, I was like really caught off guard because most the rest of the album is like other people are remixing these songs. And then this is like Metro Station just straight up covered it. So I'd be curious like how that kind of came to be. I can't even, I mean, again, like I don't know a ton about Metro Station either. I've only heard yeah. a couple of their songs, but I, I'm having trouble even really picturing that. Yeah, I, there was like Fall Out Boy. I think Patrick Stump did a remix on this, um, on Greatest Remixes. It was it was a weird release, and I'm I'm <laughs> as much as I have a lot of feelings about it, I'm I'm kind of excited to dig into it a little more, uh, and and kind of find out more about it and why it <laughs> happens. Um, I did find like just before we hopped on, um, I found a couple of remixes on YouTube of this song, and I can link some in the show notes. 
there's a Wilco Trap remix. Uh, Ryan and Mayer, Ryan Mayer and Life on Earth bootleg. I liked that remix a lot. And there is an A card remix. And I, I think, you know, I think a lot of this album really lends itself to being remixed since it's so like dancey and, and especially this song is literally dance floor anthem talking about, <laughs> you know, clubbing and stuff. Yeah. I, I would, I would definitely want to hear those like as someone who hasn't. Yeah. And I've never actually even listened to Grace remixes. Like I would be interested to see how that yeah. all plays out. I, I liked these remixes. So if you, they're, they're, I added them to our Google Docs. You can, uh, if you want to oh, check perfect. that out, like after we finish, yeah. Uh, let's talk about, I mean, I want to talk about how this song has kind of held up, uh, you know, pointing to that, I think that Fuse interview that we mentioned is a great example that a lot of people didn't get this record when it first came out, but now they really like it and they seem to understand it more. You know, Angela, we've been talking a lot about, like, how they maybe felt like misfits or outsiders despite being successful. Uh, and I think there was a weird time where it was kind of like, okay, what's what's next? What's coming next? You know? Um, I feel like this song has held up pretty well, even though they haven't really done anything like this album again you know they they would go on to do cardiology which was very like stripped back and, and very like pop rock kind of more polished sound you know youth authority this very high energy pop punk record and then generation rx which had a lot of strings and it was very dark so i'd be curious like if they ever would do something like this again i don't know if they necessarily would but i i to me i, I felt like it's held up and I wouldn't say necessarily that I've like changed how I feel about it per se at all um but I I feel like it's it's held up well for me um and I feel like this record as a whole people in general have come to appreciate a lot more I think even just for me you know more or less listening to it for the first time in this last week I mean I, like I could have easily seen it as something that was, it, it's kind of funny. Cause I think on the one hand, when I listened to it, I actually would have assumed it was released way before it was. It has. Oh really? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, to me, it reminded me a lot of like late nineties, early two thousands. Like there were elements of that, okay. in it, but at the same time listening to it, I can also see it as something that would have been, you know, released in the last couple of years. You know, right. Yeah. I just think, it kind of says it all right there as far as how it holds up, at least for this very uneducated fan. Yeah. But, but right. It's like, notice like nowhere in there. Did you say, Oh yeah, this sounds like something from 2007. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I never, ever would have placed it there. Yeah. Um, not that there's anything terribly remarkable about that particular time period right. for music for me, but like, <laughs> no, I think, I think it's really, it really su- suited to really any time. Yeah. I know. I, I would love like I would love for some of these critics who wrote about this album 10 years ago I I would like love to hear them revisit it that'd be fascinating yeah and would they pull their heads out of their ass you know who (laughs) knows but like I would really love to hear like the the retrospectives about it I mean you know my friend Logan White and I we had a podcast for a little bit called Perspective and we did an episode talking about like our favorite underrated albums and I, I went on and I defended Good Morning Revival pretty hardcore. I was like, 
this did not get appreciated, but it's a great record. Yeah, I would love to see, I would love to see more of that just for bands in general. You'd kind yeah. of, it's kind of curious because like on the one hand, I think people would be tempted to stick to it because people don't like to be wrong. But on yeah. the other hand, they, I feel like they would get beaten up a little bit more in terms of like people would probably give them a hard time um, if they were quite as harsh. So yeah. I feel like they would have to give a little bit and they probably would. I mean, revisiting anything, you know, a decade or more later, it's going to be a very different experience. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the, the, a lot of the reviews about this record saying it wasn't authentic or that it was goofy or whatever. I feel like that's making a lot of assumptions about yeah. who they are as people or what their fan base thinks of them or, or how they'll be appreciated and seeing that it's been so appreciated by fans over such a long time, I think will, I don't know, maybe it would change some people's minds. I don't know. I think it would kind of have to. I would hope. So Angela, a few questions for you as we wrap up. So what was your, I mean, impression or awareness of Good Charlotte in 2007, you know, when this record came out? versus now and after doing this podcast? I would say in 2007, it was, I mean, like, I just don't remember thinking about that at all. That was right after I graduated high school in 2006. I don't remember thinking about them for even five seconds Mm -hmm. um, in that time period. And I mean, I think that, I think that I probably thought they were a band that had releases before that. And then they just, you know, they just sort of dropped off for me. Yeah. Um, and then as far as now, I mean, it's actually been really cool. Like, I'm glad that you asked me to do this podcast because yeah. I, I feel like I have a new band to explore. And like, I don't, I don't know if I will fall in love with them in the same way that, you know, I fall in love with like my favorite bands, you know, ever. But I definitely think from the songs I've listened to, there's enough there that makes me want to explore it a little bit more and I'm interested to jump between albums and see like yeah resonate and um yeah it's it's left me excited to explore a little bit more um and it's great because I don't have to you know sit there and be like is there a new like there's a bunch of albums for me to go through right away so I'm really excited to hear what you think of these albums listening to the first time in your thirties, you know, I talked about this in our episode about little things. I talked about this in our episode about girls and boys and about the Chronicles of life and death that, you know, I, I was like in my teens when I heard this for the first time and, you know, what was my view of it then versus what do I kind of understand about it now? And, you know, being 28 versus being, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, you have a much different view on the world and much different understanding of your own emotions, you know? So I, I think you take in music differently in some ways. Oh God. Yeah. But I mean, I'm excited for the nostalgia factor because yeah, I mean, like I kind of started to say, I mean, I do, as I was listening, like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, that was one of the ones that I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, and it, again, like I remembered, you know, working at the skating rink and like, I remembered all these things. I even like instantly as goofy as it sounds like I could smell the popcorn that we made. Like I could feel, like it just instantly, I was like, oh, I'm back there. Um, And so that's another piece of it that I think I'm looking forward to is I have a feeling as I go through some of these, there will be songs that I remember that I didn't even know probably yeah you know and to be transported back to that um 
you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of nostalgia. Like I do actually really enjoy kind of getting lost in that for a couple minutes. So I think there's that aspect of it as well to look forward to. Yeah. I love that. Well, Angela, do you have any last words about dance floor anthem about good Charlotte or about yourself? Uh, no, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for introducing me to a new band. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the show. Uh, Angela, where can that people find you as well as your, you know, your various uh, projects on the internet? Yeah. So you can just go to uh, muddypawpr.com or angelamastrogiacomo.com. Uh, and my Instagram is just Angela underscore Mastro. Awesome. Angela, thank you so much. Everyone make sure to follow Angela, check out what she's up to. She posts a lot of like really cool and educational and kind of videos on Instagram that are really awesome. Thank you all so much for listening to episode four of Generation GC. Next week, we'll be back with you talking to talking about a song from cardiology you can follow the show at generation gc pod pod on facebook twitter or instagram you can also follow me at m huddleson at m h u d e l s o n on twitter or instagram and make sure you're subscribed to to the show we're on itunes spotify and we're also in the google play store thank you guys for tuning in talk to you next time